0: Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina.
1: Good afternoon, my friends. This is John Grace and my cohort here, Daniel Medina on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. We're delighted you could spend some time with us this afternoon. It's another wild and wacky Wednesday, which we'll get into. Uh, but uh, seems like things are coming apart at the seams right now in the market. So we think this may be a harboring of more to come. So we'll get into the details. But as we say, what we like to do is help you prepare for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. okay. And, and just so that you know, we work with a lot of engineers or people who think along the lines of engineers. Engineers are, uh, we love working with engineers. They like facts, they're not afraid of math, they want a good argument. They're happy to debate and they're happy to learn. So for the the, the we have the pleasure of working with uh, many engineers around the country, uh, but as I say, they're not into sales material. Uh, they don't want to hear uh, lofty ideas. In fact, one of the ways they look at it, which I think is fundamentally strong, It's like, uh, John, Daniel, show me the worst case scenario. Um, Let's see if I can live with that. Because if I can live with that, I can probably live with anything. But if I can't live with that, show me what we can do so that maybe I can alter my situation so that I'm not telling the worst case scenario story in my experience. So how might I limit it as bad as it might become? So that's why we call it preparing for the unforeseen. Because as I'm, I'm fond of saying, if you and I wanted to jaywalk across the street, is typically not the bus we see that could disrupt our day, is the bus we did not see, we could not time, we did not name, and if we're lucky, we might be able to peel ourselves up off the pavement and capture a photo uh, of the license plate of that bus, okay? But we want to be able to tell the story as opposed to people talking about us because we can't tell our own story. So the story that we want to dig in today is, uh, number one, right in line with what we're discussing, is what's the worst case scenario warning that we see for retirees and this 4% rule. Does that make sense the way it was thought to make sense when it was designed? Or there's some alterations that need to be uh, put into play, like you go to the tailor to make sure that the suit or the dress Uh, fits the way your body works. Your left arm is a little longer than the right arm. Well, the suit is equal. We need to fix this, the sleeves of this jacket so that it fits you. So we'll be looking at the worst case scenario warning for retirees. And then we really want to spend some time with our good friend, Christina Hone, who's an attorney. And this is probably one of the best things you can do, folks, is uh, listen to attorneys before you're on the clock, right at $4,000 a minute Uh, that's just the going rate these days, you know, we're worried about inflation, it's a joke. But the point is, is that let's get as much information as we can under our belts before we're paying on the hour. And sometimes we find, because we work with the family law attorneys quite a bit, that they have to go into this kind of repetition cycle, because people come in with the same ideas, and it just doesn't play in the court. And, and, And let's be cautious, of so many situations where people have this notion, well my friend said, or I read on the internet, or you know, this makes sense to me. Well, it might make sense to you in your mind, but it just might not make any sense at all in the court system because they have a way of doing business. And it's 50-50. Sorry, that's just what it is. And I know you're entitled to much more, but maybe it's probably not what you're going to get. It's probably going to be back to 50-50. <laughs> and by the way, please notice, folks, in most cases, when it, you think you're going to court, it is maybe, I don't know, Christina will tell us it might be eight or nine ten times out of 10 that the decision is made on the court steps in a nanosecond. So it's not in the courtroom where you're thinking you're going to make the judge just perform to uh, your, your, your desires, right? Make the judge look like an elephant and you're the circus master and you're gonna have the judge sit on the, on the, on the seat of the chair and, and dictate to your ex how it's going to be. It just doesn't work like that. So we're gonna get into the seven secrets your divorce lawyer won't tell you, but should. Well, make sure you understand that. And as I say, this is something you might want to share with those you know who are thinking about getting a divorce. We think this, uh, looking at Bill and Melinda Gates, is just a, a canary in the coal mine. There's going to be a lot more divorces. By the way, we can see that pattern in Wah, in uh, Wuhan, China, where as things cleared up, there were a lot of divorces. Wouldn't be surprised to see that pattern play out right here in these United States of America. So again, we want you to be prepared if this is what you're thinking about. Here's some of the things you might want to process long before you get emotional and just think I'm entitled and I'm supposed to have it the way I want. And then we'll wrap up with the seven factors to consider uh, as far as retirement. In other words, if you have a million dollars or approaching that, how, how well might that turn out for you? So we'll look at that in terms of how people think versus the reality. So let's dig in if we can. And, you know, we always like to start with kind of bringing people up to date with how the markets are doing, not just how the markets are doing today, but how the markets are doing for the year. And what kind of patterns do we pay attention to that might help us develop a forecast as to how good or bad this market might turn? So we look at the Dow, the S&P and the NASDAQ on a year to date basis, which means that we're looking to see what kind of returns to have the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ enjoyed or experienced from January 1 through today, March 19th, 2021. And my goodness, it's almost June and the year's half over <laughs> in the blink of an eye. But the Dow is holding up pretty well. It's off 1% today. Uh, it's up 10%, 10.10%. Uh, 10.10%, if you will, uh, year to date. That's certainly a, a good annualized number. It'll be interesting to see if we hold that number because uh, we believe we might not for by the end of the year. When it comes to the s and a better indication how the overall market is doing, stock market, of course, because there's 500 stocks to look at. That's certainly more indicative of what's happening in the overall economy and the stock market particularly uh, as compared to the Dow, Dow Jones, which is only 30 stocks. So we see that the S&P 500 year to date is up nearly 8.9%. Again, a very strong number. Now it becomes a little more interesting on a couple of fronts, because when we get to the NASDAQ, you can remember the NASDAQ was the darling of 2020, no question about it. It was uh, off to the races. But notice... So far this year, we're up a whopping 2.54%. And what we've noticed throughout this year so far is that the NASDAQ has gone back and forth between black and red ink. What we're also noticing is that it looks like if we close today the way it looks right now, that we might be into the fifth day of, a, um, of, of losing, which is the longest uh, loss streak, if you will, since uh, 2012. More on that, it seems as though Bitcoin, as we've discussed here, could be kind of a, uh, an example of what's, what's going on in the market. In other words, kind of a, a loss leader or an indicator of how the market may be performing um, in, in, over the long term. We saw this in 2000, where it was the NASDAQ. Remember, 95 to 99, it was magnificent. And then in 30 months from around February 2000, through 2002 off 80%. So notice how quickly what was the darling becomes the dog. And that's the whole point. The areas or the places where you saw the most gains often turn into the most losses or the highest losses. So we see that uh, by our count, it looks like Bitcoin has uh, plunged the most in the last two months, two months, off 47% in uh, the last seven days. And it may be that Elon Musk is, uh, as, as he reversed his decision to accept Bitcoin payment, may be our, uh, ca- uh, our canary in the, in the gold mine, or he might be the proverbial shine boy from the standpoint of uh, looking at uh, what Bitcoin is doing and how that story has changed. So the, the whole point here, folks, is that very quickly quickly, these markets can turn against you. And the real question is, what kind of loss can you live with as opposed to sustain. Is it 8%, is it 80%? We're gonna suggest that you think about that now before it happens. And then part two would be, how can you prepare your portfolio so that it performs like an umbrella? So it can rain, it can hail, it can do all kinds of things, but your shelter is in place to move your money to the sidelines like cash, let the train run its course and then put your money back on the tracks when the coast is clear. That's the scenario that we like to help people do, because in in my opinion, only in the business since 1979, the primary message the securities industry has conveyed is it's buy and hold, hold and hope, sit and take it no matter what, as opposed to recognizing how much loss can you accept because whether you're watching a game or you're in the, the money game, at the end of the day, you don't want to be in a place where you need a Hail Mary pass just to get back to even. So to that note, what we would say, what they, how does it go? If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Well, where do you want the bottom two Stop. Is it 47%, which some are suggesting is in the cards and that might be the first leg down or is it 8% for you and then what can you do to see the evidence that your portfolio might perform within your parameters? If it is the case or when it is the case, that your portfolio is performing within your specific parameters, you can let the market do what it does, go down like the Titanic, but it doesn't mean that it has to take your assets with you. We don't want your assets handed to you. We want you to be in the game and stay in the game and enjoy life as opposed to worrying about your particular money. So that's what we have uh, for our first segment. And uh, what we'll do at this particular time is take a, a quick break and we'll be right back with our... A resident expert on the seven secrets your divorce lawyer does not want you to know, but you should know before you go see your divorce lawyer. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice
0: America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance. Coupled with a sound plan for the future, With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey.
2: Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
0: Now, back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: Welcome back, my friends. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness on Voice America. And by the way, if you have questions, you can uh, send those to us uh, or call in, and we're happy to address those questions. And if you'd like my book, Making Finance Make Sense, please let us know. We can make it available to you at no cost in the Kindle version. That would require having your email address, and then we'll ask Amazon to send you that book in the Kindle version as my gift. Uh, And if you'd like to have a hard copy, they're only 15, 16 bucks, and it's less than 100 pages. Uh, And by the way, that means I won't get rich off this book. But Making Finance Makes Sense is being well-received at Amazon and eBay. And please make uh, your comments um, available. Hopefully, you'll like the work, uh, because uh, that way we'll get the book on on the bestsellers list, which is my 2021 goal, and I need all the help I can get. So let's turn our attention to the seven secrets your divorce lawyer uh, doesn't want you to know, and 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 we'll talk about this with Christina Hone. Now, she, Christina is a partner at Walzer Melcher, and that's after six years as a business litigation associate at Parker Milliken, which is a century-old law firm in downtown. Christina's experience includes litigated uh, complex issues in a variety of areas, including accounting and tax disputes, breach of fiduciary duty claims, professional malpractice claims, wrongful termination, and employment cases. In her specialty at this time, and for our Talk together is on uh, how people get divorced and 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 what often happens. So let's dig right in with Christina. So glad you could join us. And and Christina, you know, Daniel's been here since uh, what two thousand and eight. I've been on uh, security since uh, nineteen seventy nine. We've dealt personally with a lot of uh, situations where people are getting divorced, and frequently it is the the, the female, frankly, that becomes very emotional and has this really kind of bizarro logical from her friends about how she's going to make the judge dance to her music. So how do you get people to understand, uh, you know, it, it's 50-50. I know you're entitled to more, but at the end of the day, it's going to be 50-50. How do you get them to calm down, breathe, and understand the process and move through it without with, with as, as little emotion as opposed to as much emotion as, as possible?
2: Thank you for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here, and I will say, John, I did receive a copy of your book. Thanks for sending it, and thank you for reminding me to write a review on Amazon. My so, pleasure. Uh, one thing is, you know, I find actually the most emotional of clients mm-hmm. are actually are, are men who have where their spouses have had affairs. So mm. we do get some spouses, female spouses, that are emotional, but I find the men who have been cheated on to be the worst. Uh-huh. Either way, you know, emotion comes with it. You you have to realize divorce is a is probably the most expensive service you're going to buy in your whole life, whether you want it or whether it's been foisted upon you, you don't really have a choice. There is emotion in it. Mm-hmm. And one of my partners, Peter Walzer, always tells clients, you have to treat it like a business dispute.
0: Correct. You just
2: have to. Otherwise, you're going to get caught up in the woulda, coulda, shouldas, and all the emotion that flows with that. You have to treat it like a business dispute. Think of the other person not as somebody that you shared your life with, but somebody that you have to learn to live with and how you have to separate everything with. And you just have to accept we live in a community property state. You are most likely going to be giving up or receiving half of everything. Half of what you had before, half of income earned during marriage, half of the assets. Of course, there are exceptions. We have, you know, some people have prenuptial agreements or postnuptial agreements, settlement agreements. We have um, people come into marriage with separate properties. So it's not just a de facto 50-50, but it is the facts of life. It is what you elect into when you decide to get married or divorced in this state.
1: Aha. So when you go down your personal list of these seven things attorneys should be expressing but, but but don't, and of course you're here because you're an exceptional attorney in our opinion, what's the first item on your list?
2: So before I get to the first item, I want to say two things because of course it, I wouldn't be an, a lawyer if I didn't come with a disclaimer. So I practice <laughs> in California. The list of seven things is, I think it's applicable in all other states, but there are differences. And if you are listening and tuning in from another state, you'll want to consult with somebody in your jurisdiction. And you know starting with what john talked about when we first joined the program everybody knows somebody who's gone through divorce you know it used to be that 50% of marriages end up in divorce it's probably a lot more now especially in the in in the midst of the pandemic i'm finding it's either making people grow closer together or solidifying that they should be separated but everybody knows somebody so you've heard stories from friends from families you might see something on tv you might read something on the internet I love it. I love all of it. I want you to be informed. I encourage you to be informed. It helps you identify and ask the right questions, the pertinent questions, but you have to accept it also is going to bring in a bunch of fluff because what happened in Sally's divorce or John's divorce didn't, it might not happen in your own divorce. It doesn't mean it can't come up. It doesn't mean it can't be a resolution in your case, but you just have to be mindful. No two divorces is, are the same. They're very fact intensive, notwithstanding that we do have, you know, a body of law that that gets that's developed. So I just want to put that out there. So going through my list, what are the seven things that a divorce lawyer doesn't tell you, but should? and actually putting together this list was helpful for me. I feel like it's going to be my go to now as to what I do tell people. (laughs) So the first one is time, the amount of time it will take to get you divorced. And I'm not talking about the amount of time from filing to actually conclusion of your case, which can take many years. I actually have a case pending right now in Northern California that's been going on since 2010 and no signs of wrapping up anytime soon. But I mean the amount of time it will take from your life each day, each week, each month. When, you know, My partner Peter often says it is like having a second job and you don't know what the hours are, you don't know what the schedule is and there's probably going to be a lot of overtime. And Why is that? Some people don't realize until they go through this process that a divorce is a lawsuit. You can hear about contract disputes, business disputes, disputes with your neighbors. You get into a car accident. You have a personal injury suit. All of that sounds normal. Divorce is the same. A judge, you are requesting that a judge decide issues in your case if you can't resolve them informally. And if your case goes to trial, you need evidence to present to the judge to support whatever claims you're alleging. I'm entitled to X amount of this account or X amount of a retirement account. I want my children for X amount of the time. All of that will require evidence. There's several ways to collect evidence, but generally speaking, you are the person who will provide that evidence. You are your best witness. You will basically act as your own personal investigator. And why is that? Because you're gonna be the one who's called on to answer questions provide information, collect documents, and you're going to have to figure out how to balance that with your own schedule, with raising your children if you have them, with competing with your responsibilities at work. It is not easy, it is not fun, but it is something that you should know walking into this process.
1: All right, let's get prepared. And by the way, folks, um, this isn't part of Christina's list, but it's part of our list as far as being financial advisors. And that is one of the issues that we have with the family law attorneys is they spend so much time, you know, fanning the flames or encouraging people they're going to get more than they're supposed to get or actually going to get, right? But the other one of the pieces of the puzzle that they unfortunately don't keep in the equation, and Christina does, and that is if you've gotten your spouse to promise you $80,000 a year for the rest of your life, for example, let's suppose that spouse has the nerve to just die and go away forever guess who got the last laugh now maybe they're not laughing because they're dead but you don't have any more money you're done so my point is you should be doing an insurance plan on each of you because if you're dependent upon eighty thousand dollars a year the math is very simple if we're assuming a four percent withdrawal which we will talk about a little bit later in terms of if if that is reasonable but if if it is reasonable it means that you need two million dollars on that person 4% of 2 million is 80,000. And you are to be the owner as well as the primary beneficiary on that policy. So that way you can't accept what the, you don't have to buy the story that the ex said, yeah, I've got a policy and you don't know how much, but you're not the owner. You, You don't know if you're actually the beneficiary. As the owner and the beneficiary, nothing can change to that policy, particularly when you're making the premium payments and all the mail's coming to you and you can see you are the primary beneficiary. So that is such an important piece of the puzzle that most people leave open. And then, as I say, the spouse that you were depending on this, all this income for the rest of your life just goes to heaven and you're left feeling like, oh, shucks, of course, OS moment, right? That's an, uh, an oh shucks kind of experience. So what what are your comments on that, Christina?
2: I think that's a great thing to bring up. There are ways that you can have life insurance secure certain obligations in a divorce judgment and a settlement. Um, we see them typically with child support or spousal support, ones that you ex- expect a large sum of money over a period of time. So it's always a good idea to ask about that, to figure out how you can secure agreements that you've reached. So that way, if somebody does die prematurely or unexpectedly, you're not left holding the bag. You sort of have a contingency plan.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So uh, what's your second item on your list? And I know Daniel has some questions for you. So what's your second item on your seven reasons, seven things that divorce attorneys should be disclosing?
2: Second reason is the cost. And I think you'll hear it from every lawyer, this is going to be expensive. But what they won't tell you is how expensive it's going to be. Why? Because there's just no way to know. There are certain things that have to be done in a divorce process. For example, spouses, owe each other fiduciary duties, just like business partners. As part of that, you have to disclose all your income, all your assets, your finances. You have to make a full and complete disclosure. That takes time. That takes money. And ultimately, I think that's an emotionally draining process to have somebody go through, comb through their whole life and sort of pick it and put it on a spreadsheet. You know what else what's makes it expensive? What's if that? You're, If you're uncooperative or if the other side is uncooperative, all that does is increase fees. A divorce can be the single most expensive thing you ever purchase because consider what it is. Again, like we talked about at the beginning, it's a division of your life through a certain period of time. And what does your life entail? Property, income, finances, and children. And I don't mean to look at children as a commodity. They're not property, obviously. They they just aren't. But most people can agree on a custody arrangement. But if you can't, if if you're unable to, you can expect it just to be astronomically expensive. Because when it comes to assets, you can weigh it from a fiscal perspective. Is it worth it to to fight, you know, to spend $20,000 fighting over a $10,000 asset? No. But you can't put a price tag when it comes to children and what is in their best interest. My office has handled many complex and highly contested custody disputes some of which cost in the millions of dollars so it's it can be quite costly and something a lawyer I don't think will ever mention but it, because it sort of goes with the territory is a lawyer is a service provider just like any other service provider just like a financial planner a banker a an accountant lawyers expect to be paid for their services you know we have bills too we have payroll to cover we have rent to pay And we're not banks and can't finance your case. So when you consider what this process will entail, consider how it's going to be paid for.
1: Well, you make a good point about it being a business decision. And one of the reasons we look at it that way is it's all about the finances, right? We're trying to make sure people can uh, figure out how to retire or make work optional on their terms. But let's just understand, if you're so angry and you're so right, and you have to expend thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars with your attorney that means this is money you will not be able to spend. You can't argue with it over your spouse and your kids won't get it either. So uh, some of these discussions, uh, one way or the other, at the end of the day, you're going to come to a conclusion with your spouse. It may be uh, very friendly, it may be acrimonial, you know, it may be disgusting, but at some point you're going to come to a sense of closure about where you can agree. The sooner you can do that, that means you're not paying hourly wages for somebody to understand what you're saying and then try to put you in your right mind and make sure that you're addressing this, get this done away from the attorney if you can. And I think you have some suggestion in terms of number three, is that right in terms of building a team, Christina?
2: Absolutely. And I think that's a great point, John. I've, it's, it's heartbreaking, but I've seen it firsthand. Some divorce, Some divorces bankrupt people. And I don't actually mean filing for bankruptcy, although I'm sure there are some who do. I mean, you, some people hit rock bottom just because they are trying to put out every fire or they're trying to figure out how to get rid of all these problems. And they might have an uncooperative spouse on the other side. It's unfortunate. I actually just saw a comment um, in the media from Chris Rock who, who said, you know, when John Mulaney, another comedian, is, is getting a divorce, he said, I, gave, I told John, you know, use the lawyer that my wife used because he got all the money. But in terms of assembling a team, enlist the help, number three, help. Enlist the help of other professionals. So as a lawyer, we're here to help you through the legal process, provide you with options, give you advice, but ultimately you're the one who makes the decision. How do you make that decision based on what I'm telling you, based on your internet research, what your friends are telling you, but there are also other professionals that you could, you should consider enlisting in the process. Now I know what you're going to say but that sounds really expensive. You already just told me how expensive your divorce is going to be and how expensive you're going to be. So why would I, how can I afford to hire more people? It sounds counterintuitive, but believe it or not, there are certain professionals who can actually help you save money because these are all questions you are likely to ask your attorney who charges more than these other people. So think of it as a way to help you through the process while also saving you money. What are types of professionals you might want to consider enlisting? A financial planner. Divorce is a key event in your life that also impacts your future. Will I have enough money to live? Will I have enough money to retire? When can I retire? What will the cost of my divorce and the prospect of either paying or receiving a portion of my income, how is that going to impact me? It's really important that you speak with a financial advisor, probably before, if if you consider filing, probably before, just so you have an understanding of, of how it will impact. Second, there are a certain professionals called a certified divorce financial analyst. And this is a professional with usually a, um, a financial background, extensive, and they have extensive knowledge of tax law and marital asset distribution. And they know how to navigate the divorce process. They can prepare clients for success after divorce. And they also help budget. I, I typically find when I have uh, homemaker spouses, I will send them to a certified divorce financial analyst so they can figure out what they actually need to live. How will they budget? Will they have to work? Will they have to, how will they get a mortgage if they need to buy another piece of property? And they can actually help with some of those financial disclosures that we were talking about early in the process. Somebody else that you might not even know exists, a divorce coach, what is a divorce coach? Um, this is a professional who also can help you go through the different stages of divorce, but they help focus on you. So they guide you through the process. They keep you calm and focused, directed, motivated. They can give you tools that will help you support your personal well being and deal with your personal emotions. They can give you tools on how to support your children through that transition, how, you know, help you figure out how to let go of maybe some anger or resentment that you might feel towards your spouse. When you have kids, you're you're stuck. You're stuck. You're in this person's life forever. Um, And you need to learn how to co-parent. So again, these are things that an attorney can help you with, of course, but it's probably going to be a lot cheaper if you get another professional and sort of, you know, tying in with the divorce coach, a therapist, make sure that you're practicing self-care, taking care of your mental health. Divorce is very emotional. And you need to make sure that you're processing your feelings in a healthy and constructive way.
1: That's a good idea because at the end of the day, as I say, you're going to get closure. So just do it as quickly as you possibly can. And maybe you can even assemble your team. I can tell you that they're willing to work together. And if you will Embrace that concept, and maybe even in the same Zoom call or the same room at the same time, they'll help you slice and dice and get through everything in, in record time. And by the way, we've we've we're, one of the reasons we asked Christina to come on is because recently uh, Daniel and I have been in a couple of cases where we have one spouse saying, "I need to see how I would be doing if my spouse is not in the equation." And so that means I need to see you with my spouse not in the room. And of course, you can't tell my spouse that I was in this room. Answering getting these questions questions answered. And we really respect and respond to that kind of situation where the spouse is saying, if I'm going to get, how much am I going to get? And and what do I need? And now they're they're looking at it if I'm with this person, because we work this out, we can proceed, or I'm without this person financially, am I okay, both short term and long term? that's part of what's so important and that's part of the reason our trademark is to proof is in the planning to look at all of these issues so that you can feel comfortable or certainly do what it takes to get to feeling comfortable knowing this is what I'm doing this is why and I know my, my what my next steps are I've got the mindset that I have to make this in, in my business head and try to get all the emotions out of the equation at least push them to the side so I can feel like I'm making some intelligent decisions both for the short term and the long term so so let's see, what about uh, the time? You talked about time, but how does that relate to volume?
2: Excellent question, which leads me to point number four. In this, I feel like you will never, ever hear from, from a lawyer, any type of lawyer, divorce or otherwise, but it's something you should absolutely be made aware of. Your case is one of many in somebody's office, and that's not to say you're not a priority every case we take as a priority. I make it my business to make every case a priority. But but reality is you can't work on everything at the same time. So you might not receive a response right away. And, you know, having been on the other end where I've had to hire a lawyer for certain things, it's, it's you know, stressful and it's upsetting when you send somebody an email and you're expecting to get a response right away and you might not receive a response from several reasons or for, for several days. And this generally just comes with, with any service provider you know think about your tax preparer your teacher at your child's school you send an email and you might not get a response for several days and sometimes it's not even the the casework of your own lawyer but you might maybe send something to or your lawyer send something to your spouse's lawyer and that person has their own calendar their own business whatever they're doing their own caseload and it might take them several days or even weeks to get a response out What I think is really important to remember is that you're communicating and you feel like you're being heard. You feel like you're getting responses, at least from your own team, until you're kept in the loop and you can understand and know, okay, you know, this issue's still on the table. You just haven't heard back from the other side yet. Thanks for letting me know. And, you know, I have a personal rule. I try to respond to every email from a client same day if it's possible, but I'm an anomaly. I mean, I send emails at three in the morning, five in the morning you know, 10 PM at night. And that's because I have no life, I guess. Um, but, and I have a partner who's very similar, but I never see this on the other side. Um, so that's. Well,
1: you're married with children, right? So you've got, you do have a life. <laughs> so let's get to here. Speaking of married and children or other people around, what, what about the people who come and say, I want a pit bull. Are, is, are you, are you that
2: pit bull? So I am so glad you raised this. It really goes hand in hand with item number five, which is teamwork. I get people who come in all the time. You seem too nice. My husband won't respond or my wife won't respond if you're too nice. And I say, let me give you a phone number. It belongs to my husband. Talk to him and then get back to me. Tell me how nice I am at that time. (laughs) Um, But you really, you don't want, it's okay to want a pit bull, but you really don't want one. You don't want somebody who's going to be overly aggressive because that's just going to cost you more, more time, more money, and more, just more problems. I've, I've heard, I've actually received this feedback from clients that they see it as a sign of weakness if you get along with your opposing counsel. It's like, I need you to be my advocate. I need you to not get along with them. But that's that's totally the wrong attitude because you can get along with your advocate and still zealously represent your client. The family law community, especially in Los Angeles, where I practice, is small. We consider ourselves colleagues. We see each other day in, day out. We. Typically, if you're of a caliber of case that my firm handles, we see the same people on the other side. You just can't, you, you don't want to be on the, on the no list. And it's, it works the same way. Every time I get a case and the spouse on the other side is represented by someone on the no list, you just know, gosh, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one I hate in the office because it just makes it that much harder. And this comments like, I want a pit bull, I want a bulldog, they're always motivated by emotion. Always, what you really want is somebody who will tell you how it is. Someone's not going to sugarcoat it. Not afraid to tell you what you're asking for is illogical or unrealistic. And you want somebody who can negotiate and settle without having to go to court, but is capable of going to go to court if they have to. And sometimes you have to.
1: Well, and you know, let's let's uh, talk about it this way. I mean, we we've seen so many cases where we're seeing one of the spouses, right, and their attitude just is bad. You've got to help me make my spouse do what I want. Now, let's see, how well did that work while you were together? So what makes you think in an adversarial relationship, you're going to make him dance or her dance to your music today? It's not going to happen. So breathe, smile, do a yoga class, go run around the beach or something, calm down and keep calm and carry on and make sure you get the job done. And it helps you maintain your sense of balance as opposed to going crazy thinking you're going to make somebody do what you think they should do for your reasons that sit in your head. So we're going to have a quick break and then we'll come back and wrap up with Christina. I think she's got two more great reasons or great things that you should be asking your uh, your divorced attorney or certainly considering. And we think this is a good thing for you to do. If you're thinking about preparing for a divorce, let's get you armed and ready as best as we possibly can. So maybe we have a couple of more minutes. So let's see how far we can get to uh, Christina. Uh, what's number six?
2: Number six is the process. And this one, I think, should be said, but it sort of goes without saying. Fair is the four-letter F word in family law. Oh. The process, yeah, <laughs> the process is not fair, and it's not necessarily just, but it is. It is the process that you must go through. Sometimes it takes a long time to have your day in court. Sometimes you have to make sacrifices or compromises to get there, and sometimes you decide it's it's for your emotional well-being that you don't want to go there. And maybe you're willing to sacrifice something so you don't have to do that. At the end of the day, judge is just a person. Humans err. They're just looking at the evidence before them, trying to make the right call. No judge is coming into this saying, I want to find a way to not give you what you're looking for. That's, that's just not reality. You know, We're very fortunate in Los Angeles. We have great judges. And they're very focused and motivated to make the right call. Might you might not agree with it, might not go your way, and sometimes they do get it wrong. And that's why we have an appellate process. But you have to keep in mind they're just doing their job. Same. same and what do you thing. think?
1: Of, sorry, go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, I was going to say same thing with the lawyers. You know, yeah. don't take it personally if if your spouse's lawyer is making jabs at you or painting you in a bad light. That's their job.
1: That's what they're doing. And and what do you think of mediation?
2: Mediation is excellent. I encourage everybody to go to mediation if they can. Um, oh, sorry, I wasn't sure about the timing. So um, mediation is great. If for those not familiar with the mediation process, look it up. Basically, you go, there's a neutral before you who you try to help. That person will help you resolve your differences if they can. It's usually a retired judge or a, retired, or a practicing lawyer with experience. What they do is not binding, so you can't force somebody to go. They can't make decisions, but they can help you make decisions together.
1: Beautiful, Christina honorable We're so glad you could join us this afternoon. A member of the County Bar at LA, Beverly Hills Bar Association, San Fernando Valley Bar, American Bar Association, Phi Beta Kappa Society. Delighted you could join us and put some light on this very interesting topic. And please folks make this recording available to the friends who are kind of whispering about what they might plan to do. We hope this was helpful. We'll be right back with more. So please don't go away after this short break.
2: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back,
1: my friends. John Grace and Daniel Medina here along with Christina Hone. We wanted Christina to give you her contact information. Christina?
2: Thank you. Yes, you can reach me. My email address is K is in Christina, LH is in home at Our phone number here is 818-591-3700. Thank you guys so much for having me. And I really enjoyed giving you my seven secrets.
1: You did a great job. We're delighted to have you. And I'm sure we'll have you on again as the questions arise and we go, we know exactly who to turn to. So thanks so much for joining us, Christina. So now we want to turn our attention to this notion of uh, some of the uh, peers that we work with or peers that we know of are saying, you know, do you have 500,000? Do you have a million? As though that is sufficient. So it really comes down to the question, you know, a million dollars used to be a whole lot of money. I don't think it goes as far as it used to. Kind of like, remember when a $100 bill would stop traffic? I remember that happening with my mother, thanks to my father, who would often be paid in cash as an upholsterer. And he said he'd get the cash because the... The wives didn't want the husbands to know how much they just spent on the new furniture, so that's why he got paid in cash. Uh, but a million dollars used to really get a lot of attention, Daniel. What are you seeing that, uh, that are the considerations from the standpoint of what does it take to retire and what factors should a potential or you know forward-facing retirees consider?
3: So a million dollars is a lot of money, but no one's going to argue. It's not as much as it used to be. And it used to be that anyone could retire with a million dollars and be fine. Today, there's really a lot of things to consider. For some people, a million dollars is probably enough. For most other people, it might be multiples of a million dollars. It might be two million or three million. But it's really a personal just a personal decision that requires some planning. Like all things we're going to talk about on this show, planning is very important. So there's a few things. That we, have. we have a list of seven things to consider uh, for you be, to be able to retire, and the first one is geography. Where are you going to live when you retire? Are you going to stay where you are? Are you going to move somewhere cheaper? It's a very good question. If you're living in California, and you're in LA, and you're you, let's say you're renting, and you're planning on staying exactly where you are, million dollars may not be enough. Cost of living here is very expensive, but if you're planning on moving to the Midwest or Alabama, a million dollars may be very important. So geography, where are you going to live and how much is that going to cost? Very important question to consider when you're going through retirement.
1: Is there an, an average uh, that you can use from uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics to kind of get people in the mindset of how long it might a uh, million dollars might last and what are the conditions under which that's reasonable?
3: Well, it... it <laughs> It really depends on, on your personal situation. I'm not sure what statistic you're talking about, John.
1: Well, I think it, it may be reasonable to suggest on on average, there could be a 20 years of income. Now, that's assuming that you you know make work optional at 65 and assuming that your expenses are forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year, and then maybe the inflation factor is about 3%. But as we've talked about, particularly in the last week or two, be um, uh, cognizant of what The news is about inflation because it seems to be moving very quickly in a very direct upward motion, and the Fed wants us to believe that it's just transitory. I guess that's their way of saying, you know, temporary. Kind of an interesting word, but it may or may not be. So make sure you're looking at reality. At least maybe this year or the next year. It needs to be every six months, but at least no less than once a year to see: Am I uh, accounting for? the inflation that I anticipate or in existence right now, as opposed to waking up six years from now uh, uh, where we did a plan at 3% and all of a sudden you, you, you see that it's really 6%. And then, you know, we'll talk more about this if we have time in terms of those withdrawal, but looking at taxes from the standpoint of maybe you consider that uh, state and federal are combined at 30%. And again, that's something you need to keep your eye on because we may see tax rates move north.
3: I definitely. think it's, Tax rates moving north is definitely a possibility at some point. We've been far too we've been low for far too long now and just going lower, it appears. Yes. Number two to number two thing to consider is longevity. Uh, longevity is an interesting question. When Social Security was originally established, the life expectancy was like 67 And Social Security started at 65. So that didn't give you much time to do anything. Now we're getting into our 80s and it's very likely that people are going to start living into their 90s or 100s or even longer. So if you retire at 60 and you live to 100, that gives you 40 years of retirement. That's a long time.
1: That's a long time, and, and to Daniel's point uh, with with geography, Smart Asset finds that in New York City, a million dollars could be depleted in just a little over, well, 10.2, 10 years, two months. 10 years, two months. On the other hand, if you're in McAllen, Texas, assuming you have energy and those prices don't go crazy along with water, the cash might last three times that, over three times, 32.2, 30, 30 years and two months in uh, Texas, as opposed to just a little over 10 years in New York. So that that geography is really important. And also to look at, you know, how is Medicare covered in the state you're moving to? You wanna look at that in advance because it's not universal in terms of the country. What you take for granted in the state that you're living in may be a hundred percent different in the state that you think is cheaper than anything you've seen and you're gonna live really well, but you didn't account for medical costs being far more than you imagined.
3: Comes back to planning. Yes. Uh, number three is lifestyle what kind of lifestyle do you want to live in retirement for us when we're considering lifestyle we like to consider our clients to live the same lifestyle and we mean financially as far as spending that they're living in while they're working if we can keep their same lifestyle going from their working years to their retirement years there won't be a hiccup in -hmm. lifestyle we don't like to plan on people stepping down in lifestyle but if there's a lot of people that are going to have to do that. One of the things to consider, how, what's
1: your lifestyle going to be in retirement? Yeah, I mean, some people will blow through $10 million, okay? Some people you know, some people that you see a lot, they just spin like crazy. And then they wake up to nothing. And of course, who has any pity for them or really any respect for them? Because they were in the top one, one half of 1% and then they just blew it all like complete idiots. What's next? Healthcare. Okay.
3: Healthcare is becoming one of those expenses that just keeps going up and up and up. And for some some places, expect you to some people expect a married couple to spend about three hundred thousand dollars in healthcare in retirement. Most people that's on top not, of
1: everything else.
3: That's on top of everything else, and most people are just are not prepared for that. How are you going to pay for that? Some people can rely on Medicare or Medicaid or wherever they're at, but a lot of people cannot rely on that because they have assets. So where is that where is that expense going to come from?
1: Well, and it certainly helps folks for us to maybe take this opportunity to look at our state of weight, to be perfectly honest. I mean, uh, COVID, it looks like uh, some friends and I were talking, man, we've all put on weight. Well, maybe this is a better time to get that weight off because it's not your friend. And by the way, uh, perfectly honest, looking at uh, this COVID-19, it seems to have an eye for people who are more heavier than others. And it seems to do more damage to those of us who are heavier than we should be. So uh, getting that weight off, I, you know it's not a popular conversation, but at the end of the day, we all wanna, what did the CDC just say that life expectancy has been, has been moved backwards a full year to 78 from 79 in uh, these United States of America. Uh, if you and I wanna be above average, we better have some different habits. What about investment risk or retirement income? Well, retirement
3: income for most people, most people are going to expect some form of Social Security uh, or some extent of Social Security. But aside from that, where is your retirement income going to come from? Some people have pension income that they can expect. Most people nowadays do not, especially if you're starting to work or if you've been working for a few years, you probably don't have a pension that you can rely on. So if you don't have a pension and you just have Social Security, where is the rest of your retirement income going to come from? These are, this is one of those questions that needs a lot of advanced planning because it usually takes time to put a source of income together that could sustain you through your, through your retirement. If you're going to live for 40 years, it's a long time that you That's need income. It's a long
1: time to need income without working. And it's helpful folks to look at those statements or go to ssa.gov, socialsecurityadministration.gov, to see what kind of Social Security income you are expecting. Please don't just stop at the first answer, how soon can I get how much? Please look to see that there's an 8% increase each year that you delay starting your Social Security. By the way, that benefit does peak at age 70. But this is one way to help you do, remember our, our, our trademark, the proof is in the planning, for you to do good planning. Not just, as I say, stop when you see how, how much you can get how soon, but notice nothing, I don't know of anything else where there's an 8% increase to your benefit and it stops at 70 when you have other sorts of income where you don't have to start Social Security. Now, we would say, if you think uh, you don't have time on your side, start the Social Security as soon as you can. If you've got, uh, you know, health's in good shape, you think you have longevity on your side, some people look at it as a goal. I know every year I can start Social Security. I'm going to be around to make that decision a year from now, but I know I can make that decision then. And right now, I don't want to start the Social Security because I, I want to see if I, how, if I can get to 70 or something I can get the highest benefit and then enjoy a, a higher income. And, and investment risk, that's huge. That's that's very big for,
3: for a lot of people. So if we're talking about a million dollars to retire and you're going to draw 4% income on that, that's 4% withdrawals on a million dollars. That's 40,000 every year. Investment risk becomes very important because if that million dollars invest, is invested and we see some kind of loss, that's a loss on top of the withdrawal. So let's say you see a 10% loss and you take out 4%. That's a 14% decline in your portfolio that
0: year.
1: Well, and let's put, turn it around this way, Daniel. So let's suppose people have been investing for a while, and we saw two times where uh, stocks dropped 50% in the same decade. So if you're used to, you're needing, uh, how much did you say? $40,000, you are used to having a million dollars. If that gets reduced by 50% to 500000 and you still need 40000 what's the withdrawal rate we need so that you can see the same $40,000 income, Daniel?
3: Well, it doubles. Your portfolio gets cut in half. Your withdrawal rate doubles.
1: So it went from 4% to 8%. Now, after a 50% decline and an 8% withdrawal, Daniel, will this account ever get back to even? If you still need $40,000 a year, it's very unlikely. Almost impossible. <laughs> and what about inflation?
3: Inflation is it goes along with investment risk. Things get more expensive every year. So we have to count on you being able to spend more every year. So that goes back with inflation risk. How are we going to... Invest the assets so we you can have enough income and continue to spend more throughout your forty
1: plus year retirement. So what you're saying is, if we're getting, let's say, a consistent six or seven percent return, and keeping withdrawal at, let's say, three or four percent, that kind of gives you a cushion to get the income, but also to maybe uh, offset uh, some losses that hopefully won't be permanent. That's definitely our goal. Okay. All right. Well, folks, uh, we're delighted you could spend some time with us this afternoon, and I can tell you what we have on tap for next week. Uh, we'll be looking at the uh, the odds, the worst-case scenario of the uh, for retirees, along with the four percent rule. That's kind of the bad news. The good news is we're going to talk to nine reasons. While we are, why we are optimistic about our future. Eight people and one more reason that we'll be talking to, high school students that just make you go wow and give you a whole lot of hope as far as the future is concerned. So please join uh, Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace next week, same time, same station, right here at Voice America at Fiscal Fitness. We'll see you then. Stay safe. Bye-bye for now. <coughs>